As we prepare to celebrate the birth of Christ this Christmas season, indeed, dear friends, we want to meditate on the fullness of God's grace as manifested in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I love the, the way this song that we have just sung, that we have just introduced to our congregation, how it ends with these words. All our hopes and dreams we bring gladly as an offering. Fullness of life and joy unspeakable, God's gift in love to the world. Friends, as we prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus, we want to celebrate it with this desire to bring to the Lord our dreams, our expectations, our hopes, and lay those to his throne, knowing that we bring these hopes and expectations to the one who has given us everything for our salvation. I encourage you to open God's word this morning to the book of Isaiah, chapter 38 and 39. As we are looking at a God who is worthy to be trusted. He's worthy to be trusted with our dreams and expectations, dear friends. He's worthy to be trusted with everything at all times. Would you open God's word to Isaiah chapter uh, 38? And we'll be reading from verse 1 all the way to the end of chapter 39. If you are using one of the Bibles provided in, in the chair in front of you, you may find this passage on page number 598. Here's God's word for us this morning. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Avaz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Then, Isaiah, then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days, I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me off from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calm myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with looking upward. I, O oh Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walk slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O oh, restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you delivered my life from the pit of destruction. For you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you. 
death does, does not praise you. Those who go down to the, to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me. And we will play my music on string instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he has heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Hezekiah said to then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, There will be peace and security in my days. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Would you pray for the preaching of God's word for our hearts? Father, help us to see that your word is good. It is good at all times. Even when the news is not what we might expect. Father, we pray that by the presence of your Holy Spirit, you would enable our hearts to declare that indeed you are good and that your word is good at all times. Would you help us to trust in you no matter what the circumstances are? We pray this for the glory of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, the story we have just read in chapter 38 and 39 might be a bit puzzling and confusing in the sense that it does not happen chronologically after chapter 36 and 37. It does not happen after the departure of of Assyria which took place in the previous two chapters. Instead, the text we just read is a flashback to a time prior to the coming of Assyria. Now, how do we know that? Well, look at verse 6. God says, I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This verse tells us that we are dealing here with an event from an earlier time than what we have covered in the previous two chapters. Now, why did Isaiah bring this story here as if wanting to go back in time? The answer is, we don't know for sure. At best, we can offer some suggestions. We might think that once the Assyrian threat that, that invaded uh, Judah, once that is resolved, that Judah's story might seem to be resolved. And everything should be just a happy end moving forward. Well, even though Assyria is no longer a threat by the end of chapter 37, Judah's exile has not been taken off the canvas of its history. Judah's exile was still going to come at a future time. 
not through Assyria, but through Babylon. The rest of the book of Isaiah will speak to God's people as if the exile has already taken place. But chapters 38 and 39 are the story that introduce us to the news that Judah will be taken into exile. Not through Assyria, but through Babylon. Well, the delivery of this, of this sad news, of this very bad news, came for Judah, closely weaved with the deliverance of another bad news for Hezekiah himself. A very bad news that Hezekiah received about his personal health. Hezekiah's sickness and healing was the occasion for the visit of the envoys of the, of the team from Babylon. And their visit and Hezekiah's response to the team that visited King Hezekiah was a time when God announced to Judah that her exile has been placed on God's calendar. The news of Judah's exile to Babylon was announced before the Assyrian invasion. God warned his people ahead of time that the discipline that he was going to bring to them, the discipline that God was going to bring against Judah herself, was because God's people have turned away from their God. Hezekiah happened to be an exceptionally good king compared to all the other kings in, his, in the recent history before him and all the other kings after him. He, Hezekiah has made many religious reforms in the land, but these religious reforms were not able to change the hearts of God's people to trust in him. And even Hezekiah himself has at times wavered in his trust uh, in the Lord. In the, so in this passage, in this text, God announced the Babylonian exile. But this announcement is mixed with a story of, of the news of Hezekiah's sickness and also Hezekiah's healing. And these stories are meant to be viewed together. So that what happens in Hezekiah personally, in the news of his sickness and then in his deliverance, might be a sign of hope for the people of God when God will bring the, nation, the national exile against Judah. So that God's people might know that the God who wounds is also going to be the God who heals. Not just personally, but nationally. Friends, I wonder if you notice the bookends of the story. They're bad news. Chapter 38 begins with God sending Hezekiah a very bad news about his personal health. Chapter 39 ends with God sending Hezekiah a very bad news about the future exile of the nation. These two news, pieces of news, are meant to be synced together. Yet the way Hezekiah responds in his personal crisis prepares God's people to suffer the exile that God was going to bring. The centerpiece of these two chapters is not merely Hezekiah's miraculous healings, a healing. It's true that God heals Hezekiah, but more importantly than the healing itself, is Hezekiah's reflection upon the suffering. That reflection upon his suffering takes longer to describe than the healing itself, which tells us that more important than the healing is what Hezekiah learned about the suffering. And what he learned about the suffering was important for God's people to hear before they go into the exile. Also, what we see about God in this story of how God both brought the, the sickness to Hezekiah and brought the healing to Hezekiah. What, what Hezekiah reflects about God and what, what God says about himself as he heals Hezekiah is important for God's people to hold on to so they are prepared for suffering, so they could trust in God at all times. This morning, we want to look at this message of trusting in God in all times. For the last two Sundays, we have looked at this message of trusting in the Lord. Uh, and in some ways, we might say, well, do we need a third sermon about trusting in the Lord? Well, here's, here's where the third sermon comes in. For two sermons, we have talked about 
trusting in the Lord and what that means and how to do it and why we should do it. Today, the emphasis is not simply on trusting the Lord. The underline of it is at all times. At all times. In our lives, we have situations that are easier for us to trust in the Lord than other situations. And we're going to see two scenarios in which, in which we see King Hezekiah struggle with that. And by God's grace, as we look at, at, the, at the two scenarios in Hezekiah's life, his sickness and his health, we will see that trusting in the Lord, dear friends, is, is not just a matter of trusting him in one of those times. It's a matter of trusting him in both of those times. And as we look at, at the story of Hezekiah's he, uh, uh, sickness and healing, let's look at three truths about trusting in God at all times. Three truths about trusting in God at all times. First one, trust God by praying boldly and continuously. Second, trust God by seeing the benefits of his discipline. Finally, trust God with prudent minds. Let's look at each of these points. And this morning as we look at the story to see how, how the story encourages God's people to trust in the Lord at all times. The first one, trust God by praying boldly and continuously. In verse 1, we are told about a time when Hezekiah was sick, so sick that his life was endangered. And God sent the prophet Isaiah to inform Hezekiah that his sickness was fatal, that he will die, and thus he should set his house in order. My friends, such news would turn anyone's world upside down. It's as if today someone might go to the doctor and find out not only that there's cancer, but that cancer is in the last stage, and doctors are giving no hope of restoration. Well, imagine that that hope of restoration or that lack of hope of restoration is heard not from the doctor, but from God himself. God is the one who says, listen, you're going to die. How do you respond to such a news? Well, let's see how Hezekiah responded. Look at verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Hezekiah took this devastating news to the Lord in prayer. As we might imagine, Hezekiah's prayer was not just a prayer with his mind. It wasn't just a dry prayer. It wasn't just a polite prayer. At the end of verse 3, we are told that Hezekiah wept bitterly. Hezekiah was not afraid of coming before God with his tears. He was not afraid to bring the full spectrum of his emotions to God in prayer. In verse 4, God sends a message to Hezekiah and gives him an answer to his prayer. But as we see the answer to prayer, notice what God says about himself in this answer. This answer is all about God, about God, what God has done already and what God will do to Hezekiah. Look at verse 5. God says, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Friends, one of the evidences that God is real and that God is true is that he hears prayer. False gods cannot hear. False gods cannot act. Our God is not only a God who hears prayer, but he sees our tears. Our emotions are not hidden from him. We often don't like to let people see our tears. We often think and I've heard this occasionally, um, that we must apologize when we begin crying. You know, you might tell someone a story that just moves you to tears. Perhaps it's very difficult in your life, and tears begin crying, tear coming down. And you, what, oftentimes I hear this, oh, I'm so sorry. For what? For, for crying? For tears? We somehow like to hide our tears. Oh, friends, our God notices our tears. What a comfort it is to hear that our God not only hears prayers, but He sees our tears. 
He is not like the idol who can neither hear nor see. And God reveals to Hezekiah the answer to his prayer. Look at verse 5b. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. Friends, who on earth has authority to add years to our lives and to speak with such certainty about how many years will be added? Not 14, not 16, but 15. Friend, if you are not a Christian, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. Our gathering in a place like this is not just to be a religious club or not just to be a, an organized religion. No, we gather to hear the word of a God who has authority to, de- to determine the length of our lives. He has authority to shorten our lives. He has authority to make them longer. He has authority to determine how many years we live. Whether it's shorter or longer, we are here to hear a word from the God who has authority to determine the length of our, ta- of our lives. What a great news for Hezekiah to hear that God has determined to add 15 years to his life. But friends, God doesn't always give this particular answer. He can choose to answer prayer in whatever ways brings glory to him. Whether he chooses to add some years to someone's life, or whether he chooses to take some years from someone's life. It is God who has that authority, and his plans are good. God told Hezekiah another news, that God will deliver Hezekiah and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. Look at verse 6. I will deliver you and the city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. Remember, for the last two weeks, we have looked closely at Hezekiah's trust in the Lord as the Assyrian army was mounting up a siege against Jerusalem. And we were amazed at Hezekiah's trust, firm trust in the Lord, hanging on to God and believing that the Word of God is a better strategy for protecting against the Assyrian army than against any other fortified city that Hezekiah already lost. And we wonder, what is it about Hezekiah that gave him that trust, to to boldly trust in the Lord? Well, friends, this verse gives a clue. Prior to that Assyrian invasion, God had told Hezekiah not only that he will make Hezekiah well and added life to his, to his years to his life, but that God will specifically protect and deliver the people of Jerusalem from the king of Assyria. Therefore, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. God not only promised him these answers to prayer for his physical restoration and for, his, for the, the deliverance from the king of Assyria, but God also gave Hezekiah a sign so that Hezekiah would be assured that God will act upon his promise. The sign is found in verse 7, that the shadow on the staircase of Ahaz would turn back 10 steps. Now, we may wonder if this sign is scientifically possible. Did God really move the sun? Did God move the earth to change the light or the shadow on the stairs so that this sign could actually be given? Some might find such details to be a reason to dismiss the entire event or to dismiss the Bible as an example of of containing things that cannot be believed. Well, may I remind you that this sign God gave to Hezekiah as a sign so that he could believe even more. How ironic that the sign that God gave Hezekiah so his faith would be even more firm is such an audacious sign, such a humanly unexplainable sign that Today, scientifically, we might wonder and find this as a reason to disbelieve. Well, friends, if this sign did not happen, Hezekiah would have had reasons to put all this, uh, you know, to trash it as, as just fluff, as just empty words. But Hezekiah believed, and Hezekiah trusted the word of the Lord. So this sign must have happened. How? I don't know. I cannot explain it. One thing is for sure, though. That this sign, interestingly, makes a reference to Ahaz. Did you notice that? The sign was to happen on the stairwell or the dial of Ahaz. Why Ahaz? 
Well, because in chapter 7 of Isaiah, we go back to a time when God told Ahaz the promise that God will defend the city. That God will defend the city against the Assyrians. And Ahaz didn't want to believe it. And Isaiah told Ahaz, Ahaz, ask from the Lord for a sign to help you believe. And Isaiah said, let this sign be as high as the heavens. And Ahaz didn't want to believe it. And now Hezekiah gets a sign from the Lord that moves the heavens and the shade and the light to tell Hezekiah that the word of the Lord is real. He can trust the Lord. Hezekiah saw it, was encouraged by his faith to trust in God. Friends, for God not even moving the heavens is too big of a, of a responsibility, too big of a sign to make the shadow move back 10 steps to enable God's people to believe. I love the verbs that describe in these few verses what God is able to do. God hears. God sees tears. God adds years to life. God delivers. God defends. Friends, this is the God to whom Hezekiah turned to and prayed. Would we turn to Him in our troubles? Would we turn to Him with our tears? Friends, don't let your tears or sorrows be your only companion. In those times, turn to the Lord in prayer. Friends, God answered Hezekiah's prayer because, God, because, Hezekiah, because uh, Hezekiah turned to the Lord in prayer and God heard the prayer and answered it by highlighting what God will do. Friends, why is it that we pray so little? Why is it that we often turn to God so late in the game of our lives? Friends, why is it that sometimes it's easier for us to pray about other people and we don't actually pray about our needs? May I encourage us to grow in, in our life of prayer, both personally and corporately. I want to encourage you to to pick up a, a very, very, very short book. You know I give out books, and oftentimes my, the books I give are not very short. I want to recommend to you a very, very, very short book. Uh, it's 12 pages long. J.C. Ryle, A Call to Prayer. Read it. It will encourage your soul. We want to be a people who turn to the Lord in prayer and grow in that practice. But as Hezekiah turned to the Lord in prayer, notice what Hezekiah's raw emotions um, and continued prayer in the midst of those raw emotions. In verses 10 through 16, Hezekiah is transparent about his sadness and this, about his bitterness as he heard the news that he must die. As Hezekiah turns to the Lord, he's raw. He is raw. He gives several pictures that describe how his life was about to be taken from him. But in the middle of his bitter feelings, yes, you have heard well, in the, bitter, in the midst of his bitter feelings, he did something else. Verse 14, my eyes are weary with looking upward. Oh Lord, I'm oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. Hezekiah has turned his eyes upward to the Lord. And as he looks to the Lord, he confesses. That he is weary even in looking to the Lord. Friend, our direction is more important than our circumstances. It is more blessed for a man to be in bitterness, yet looking upward to God, than for him to be in happiness, yet looking inward to himself or to things around him. Throughout this bitterness, notice that Hezekiah has been looking upward not just once, not several times but continuously, so much so that he has become tired. At this point, Hezekiah confesses that he is low in strength, even to look upward. Notice verse 14, my eyes are weary in looking upward. Friends, this is not a person who is tired of looking upward and wants to give up. No, he is tired, but his tiredness shows how long he's been looking up. This is how long he's been looking upward. So long that his eyes have become weary and tired. Friends, I wonder 
if you've ever felt this tiredness of looking upward and waiting for God to answer. Don't let this tiredness discourage you. If you're feeling that sense of tiredness, be encouraged that you have been doing it for a while. And keep doing it. Hezekiah too has felt this tiredness. He felt the oppression of his trial, but asked the Lord to be his pledge of safety. As Hezekiah looked upward to God, he is not only low in strength in his eyes to look upward, he is also low in words. He's at a loss of words. Look at verse 15. What shall I say? What shall I say? He has said many things up till now. His bitterness, his sadness. But then as he looks upward, he says, All right, Lord, what shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. In other words, Hezekiah wants to talk to God to his problem. And as he talks to God, he begins realizing, Wait a second. I'm talking to God about my problem, but God is the one who brought it. He knows my problem. He's the one who told me about my problem, and he's the one who's behind it. Hezekiah realizes that God has the authority to bring our lives to an end. That God has the power to bring about any circumstance into our lives that would cause our lives to come to an end. It could be a disease. It could be an accident. It could be that unexpected news that we heard. This week we have been reminded by the Graham family of the unexpected news that that Lori and Andy received while they were away traveling out of the country about their mother. It was a totally unexpected news. God has the authority to call the shots on those things. So Hezekiah, as he looks to God, he realizes, wait a minute, I am talking to the God who just, who has that kind of authority to press the button and say, your life is coming to an end. We may feel that it's coming way too quickly. We may feel that it, it feels like it's in the middle of life. Hezekiah has these pictures like, a, like rolling up a tent, a shepherd's tent. Not just a tent, but a shepherd's tent. Which was the quickest thing you could wrap together. Hezekiah has these feelings that his life is coming to an end in, in the middle of his days. At this point, Hezekiah does not even have an heir to the throne. He's childless. How do we know that? Because God, at this point, adds 15 years to his life. And the heir to the throne... When he comes to the throne, he's only 12. Hezekiah is not only childless. Hezekiah is the one who is the heir on the, on the line of the throne of David. It's not just Hezekiah's problem. It's a problem of the line of David continuing the perpetuation of an heir in the line of David. There's so much going on that Hezekiah could be sad for. But he realizes, what else can I say to God? Because he's the one behind it. Well, friends, after all these emotions, Hezekiah has one very simple request, but very bold request. He says, O Lord, restore to me health and make me live. After all these emotions, his request is surprisingly short, but yet very bold. Friends, we don't impress God by the quantity of our words. We don't impress God by the quantity of our requests. Long prayers are not necessarily better. Our transparency before God and our boldness to trust in God by the simple act of prayer is sufficient. So pray with transparency. Pray with boldness and pray continuously because God is a God who hears our prayers and sees our tears. The second thing we see about trusting in God at all times, trust God by seeing the benefit of His discipline. Starting with verse 17, Hezekiah writes how he felt after the Lord has healed him. And look at what Hezekiah concludes in verse 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. Hezekiah comes to recognize that the great bitterness he has experienced was for his benefit. Now friends, rarely do we come to see this point when we are in the midst of the difficulties it's often much easier to see it afterwards. And sometimes, for some people, even afterwards, the suffering, after the suffering is gone, people still hold on to a sense of bitterness, 
thinking that they really did not need or did not deserve that path of suffering. Hezekiah does not tell us what exactly he benefited from going through the great bitterness, but he shows us his trust in God by recognizing that his suffering and his great bitterness was for his benefit. This is a great lesson that Hezekiah wants to pass on to us as well. Oh, friends, if we would learn this lesson that Hezekiah experienced to understand that God brings trials in our lives for our good. We may not see the benefit while we go through suffering. Hezekiah wants to teach us before we go into any suffering. Hezekiah wants to teach to, to, for us to understand before Israel or before Judah goes into exile that the suffering that God brings is for their benefit. Think of the athletes who have to go through significant training and exercising that is painfully difficult. They put their bodies to practice that leave them exhausted and tired. Yet after their rigorous training, their bodies are better fit for the competition. In verse 17, Hezekiah comes to recognize that through this particular discipline, through this particular suffering, that the Lord has dealt with Hezekiah's sins. And because the Lord has dealt with his sins, Hezekiah is, is, has been able to experience God's rescue from the pit of destruction. Look at verse 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love, you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins behind you. Friend, the Lord often disciplines us to bring our attention to our sin and to spur us on to holiness. Hebrews 12, 10 says that God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. And then verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. The Bible acknowledges us, that truth, that for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Hezekiah comes to experience this conclusion on his own, in his own experience, the various experiences of sadness and bitterness he now sees as being for his benefit. Oh, friends, if we could learn this lesson. Hezekiah shows a desire to thank God, and he speaks of fathers making known God's faithfulness to their children. Hezekiah experienced bitterness in his suffering, but he didn't stay bitter. Verses 18 and 19 give, uh, have given interpreters trouble. What does it mean that Hezekiah says that those who go down to the pit do not hope for your, hope for their, your faithfulness? It doesn't mean that, that those who die don't, don't see God's faithfulness, they don't hope for God's faithfulness. Does it seem that people who die just don't have hope in the Lord anymore? Well, here's how one of the Bible interpreters uh, suggests that this passage must, might be understood. Hezekiah must not be considered as making a comment on death in general, but on his sort of death in particular, dying under divine wrath with sin unforgiven. It is possible that it, in, the, in this part of Hezekiah's life, there was still sin that was undealt with in Hezekiah. And God brought the suffering to awaken his mind and heart to his frailty, to his, his own lack of trust in the Lord. And, and the Lord dealt with Hezekiah to, to bring that about and lead him to trust in the Lord entirely and fully. Dying in, in cases when, when our sin is not handled, when our sin is not provided for, dying in such cases, the grave offers no more praise, no thanks. And those who die with their sin unforgiven can no longer put their hope in God. Friends, the story of Johnny Erickson Tada reminds us of the great suffering that a child of God can experience. She suffered spinal cord injury and became paralyzed from neck down. And she writes this about her experience with suffering. She says in, in one of the chapters she wrote, When suffering sandblasts us to the core, the true stuff of which we are made is revealed. 
Suffering lobs a hand grenade into our self-centeredness, blasting our soul bare so we can be better bonded to the Savior. Our afflictions help us to make us holy. And we are never more like Christ, never more filled with His joy, peace, and power than when sin is uprooted from our lives. And she goes on to say, the point is, my suffering has taught me to be done with sin, putting behind me the peevish, small-minded, self-focused Johnny to mature into the Johnny that has destined me, that he has destined me to be, honed and polished by years of quadriplegia. I'm not saying it's easy. Actually, it's getting harder, she says. These thin, tired bones are beginning to bend under the weight of decades of paralysis. But I have to remember that the core of God's plan is to rescue me from sin, even up to my dying breath. My pain and discomfort are not his ultimate focus. He cares about these things, but they are merely symptoms of the real problem. God cares most not about making my life happy, healthy, and free of trouble, but about teaching me to hate my transgressions and to keep growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. God lets me continue to feel sin's sting through suffering while I'm heading to, for heaven, constantly reminding me of what I am being delivered from, exposing sin for the poison it is. These words, my friends, even unlike Hezekiah, are written by someone who is still experiencing the pain and the suffering. How can someone write this way about suffering, knowing that her pain has not been taken away? Someone who doesn't just write academic words, someone who has actually felt each of that pain. Hezekiah's illness and recovery present Hezekiah as a king who responded by turning to God in his troubles. But as good as he did showing his trust in the Lord, when his troubles were over, when his suffering came to an end even in this life, unlike Johnny, when his, cover, when his suffering was over and he experienced health and restoration, Hezekiah blew it up. Big time. So the third point we see in this passage, trust God with prudent minds. Trust God with prudent minds. For some people, it is easier to trust in God when things are well, and they have a harder time to trust God in the storms of life. For others, however, may I say and suggest, it is easier to trust in God in times of trials and forget to live with the same trust when the trial is over. Hezekiah is such a man. He did excellent in how he trusted in God doing, during his fatal sickness. He did excellent. But blew it up after he recovered and the envoy came from Babylon to visit him. The visit of the Babylonian, Babylonian envoys uh, is significant. Baladan, the king of Babylon, has tried to oppose Assyria and has had some success by sending his son, Medorak Baladan, with gifts to Hezekiah was a way of befriending Hezekiah to be open to a common partnership, especially in light of the growing Assyrian threat. Hezekiah Hezekiah's response goes beyond any gesture of politeness. In verse 2 of chapter 39, we are told that Hezekiah welcomed these visitors gladly. Notice the focus on, on the gladness with which Hezekiah welcomed these foreign visitors. But he did a lot more than that. Hezekiah showed him his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. And just in case we missed anything, verse 2 ends with this note, there was nothing in his house or in all his realm 
that Hezekiah did not show them. This exaggerated openness does not smell well. And sure enough, God sends his prophet to ask Hezekiah about his visit from the Babylonian envoys. What they, who they were, where they came from, and what they said. As if God or Isaiah didn't know. But Isaiah wanted Hezekiah to say those things. And there's no sense that Hezekiah spoke to them about God's faithfulness or God's commitment to protect his people. This act of showing off all his material resources smelled like boasting and confidence in his resources. It smelled like openness to present oneself as a resourceful partner for the Babylonians who had high aspirations against the Assyrians. At this point, God reveals his plan to take everything, everything precious from Judah to Babylon. Now, it's not the case that somehow Hezekiah's act is the cause of the Babylonian exile. It's, don't think that what Hezekiah does here is the reason why Judah went into exile in Babylon. No, what Hezekiah did here was symptomatic, was a reflection of what Judah has been doing all along. Saying that they trust in the Lord, but with their actions, they did not. Saying that they love the Lord, but with their actions, they did not. What makes Hezekiah's act here particularly powerful and strong is the fact that God has just healed Hezekiah. God has just reminded Hezekiah that he will defend them. That he will be the one who will defend them against the Assyrian king. Why would Hezekiah present himself as a, as a potential partner? As a, as, a, as a boasting alliance partner, potential partner. Friends, why would Hezekiah do that? We don't know. The bottom line is he did. And his action was symptomatic of what the people of Judah have been doing all along. It's our actions that show where our hearts are. Sometimes emotions mislead us. Sometimes we think we trust God with our whole hearts. We know that we should be grateful to him, and we, see, we think that we are grateful to God. But Hezekiah learned, and Hezekiah learned these lessons through suffering. But then in good times, he reverted back to trusted in human glory, in human strength. Friends, our actions reveal what we trust. Hezekiah's response at hearing the news about the future exile can be taken in two ways. Some interpreters think that it's possible to see it as a sign of self-centeredness. The news he heard was not for an immediate future, but for his sons and for his offsprings. And his response may seem heartless. In verse 8, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. How sad to see him uh, respond in this way. He's only thinking about himself. When he was about to die, he's only thinking about the fact that at least he lived in peace and security. When his offspring is decreed to be exiled, he might seem like he doesn't care because he's still thinking about himself. That would be one way to interpret these words. But there's another way in which these words can be interpreted. In a more positive light, Hezekiah has come to accept God's plan of suffering as good. Just as he learned in his own personal experience that suffering can bring about God's goodness, his words here might be interpreted as accepting that if God plans for Judah to be in exile, so be it. The Lord's plan is good. As we see in chapter 40, the way chapter 40 begins, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins, we see the goodness of God even through the exile and beyond the exile. Reality is we don't know exactly if these words of Hezekiah are to be interpreted in a, in a good way or in a bad way. But the point for Hezekiah is that his restoration and wealth was a greater lure for failing to rely on the Lord than his suffering was. This means, dear friends, that trusting in God 
means that we must act prudently, especially when things are going well. In good times, we may not feel the daily reminders, like Johnny does, of trusting in God. And it is easy to trust in ourselves, in our plans, in what we have. We must trust God with prudent minds, being aware of the various ways our hearts can be misled to turn away from God, especially in good times. Whatever we put our trust in, said one commentator, whatever we put our trust in instead of God himself will eventually turn on us and destroy us. And the question for us is, will we say this word is good? Will we say that if God chooses to bring that about against us, if God chooses to bring suffering, his word is good. Why? Because it leads us to more holiness. It leads us to, to fight against our own sinfulness and to remind us of the need to trust in the Lord at all times. Friends, three truths we have learned about this, this point in the book of Isaiah. Three truths about trusting in God at all times. Trust God by praying boldly and continuously. Trust God by seeing the benefit of His discipline. And trust God with prudent minds. Friends, as we go through the book of Isaiah, we will see this particular call, this particular lesson of the importance of trusting God at all times. And Lord willing, next week, we will see how God responds to his people after the exile. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our hearts as we seek to trust him. Father, you alone have the authority in heaven and on earth plan what is good for us and sometimes those events those plans bring us to tears to sorrows to bitterness and to suffering help us O oh Lord to trust in you that your plans and your words Father, help us to trust in you even when those plans don't involve suffering. In the times when you bring great redemption, great blessings, even physically, in those times, give us minds that are prudent. Give us minds that are vigilant, that we may not be lured to trust in ourselves, but through our actions or through our words. Father, give us a, give us a, a readiness of mind and heart to trust in you all times. I pray this in the name of Jesus.